I want to greet all of you this afternoon in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here and for praying as you come. I thought of the words of Jesus Christ in Luke 4, verse 18, where Jesus said about himself, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. I want to this, this afternoon, I want you to think about a girl. Her perpetrator said that the event happened when she was three years old. At three years old, she, she faced abuse. She doesn't even remember, but her perpetrator did and confessed it. This girl, this young girl grew up and she struggled with boundaries. She struggled with um, knowing where she fits in. She struggled with relationships and all of the things that, that girls like that struggle with. As she grew older, she, her search for love began. Somewhere between 15, 16, 17 years old, her search for love began. And she thought to herself, I'm putting words into, into, and, and uh, I'm taking words out of her mom, uh, her brain. She didn't say these words. But if, I'm sure she thought if the, the, the love of a man can make me, can satisfy the hunger within me and get rid of the guilt and the shame that I've experienced. So she immersed herself in that. She, she buried herself in that. And this is the way her life will look when she's 30 years old, unless the Lord gets a hold of her life. At 30 years old, when the search for truth begins, then she will, the, the, there'll, there'll be a circuit overload in her life. She won't be able to divide between right and wrong. She won't be able to, to, to bear the, the uh, weight of life. And she'll probably face depression and things like that. I'm not making any predictions on her life, but let me say this. Sexual abuse among us is devastating. And I want, I want, I want to say this, that Miriam and I, we sit here, we're not perfect parents. Like, like um, our brother said, we have, we have seven daughters and two sons, and we haven't done everything correctly. And before we begin, I'd like to say this. I don't have all the answers. I will tell you what I, what I believe. I will tell you. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm willing to talk about it, but I don't have all the answers. And you may sit here this afternoon. And for you, the subject of intimacy or the subject of sexual things, uh, you've been taught that we shouldn't talk about those things. For you, I want to say, I want to be gentle. I want to curb my words and make sure that uh, the words I use are not offensive to you. You may sit here this afternoon and you've been a victim of sexual abuse. I feel sorry for you. I pity you. You're probably wondering if this guy from Holmes County has answers for you. I want to say to you before I begin and to all of us before we begin... The basic premise why I'm here, I'll tell you right now, and it undergirds everything else I say this afternoon or tonight, and that is that the power of Jesus Christ 
will deliver a person from any sin, including the perpetrator or the abused. I don't want us to forget that. If you sit here this afternoon and you've been a victim of abuse, let me say to, to you before I begin, there is hope in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you may sit here and you're in the middle of a, an abusive situation. I have a very strong word for you, and that is speak up and let yourself be heard and make sure the abuse ends. Go for help with courage, a lot of courage. And to all of us, I want to say this. I want, to, I want the Holy Spirit to impress on each of us this afternoon that there's a, with an extreme sense of urgency. An extreme sense of urgency. I want us to leave no stone unturned as a people group. We have failed in this area. I want us to stand before God sometime today and lift up our hands to heaven or just hang, let them hang down and hang our, our heads and say, God, as a people group, the plain, plain people have failed with sexual abuse. We have not failed in every area. That is true. We're no longer sweeping it under the carpet like we used to. That is true. We have men and women who have dedicated their lives to help people come out of that. That is all true. But I don't want us to, to go from here tonight unless we have an, a very firm conviction that this must end. This must end. I am glad that we can lay down our differences church-wise. Some of us drive horse and buggy. Some of us drive cars. Some of us dress different than we dress different than each other. We go to different churches. I'm glad we can lay our differences down and say to each other, we are here as a, as a group of men and women. And we're going to take a position against sexual abuse. And we're not going to leave a stone unturned till we're finished. Until in the end, uh, we will stand together and eradicate this thing, thing first before Almighty God. Remember Almighty God first and before the oncoming generation. And that is my burden. I have a burden for you as you sit here. But I don't know how many of us, how many children are represented by the, their parents being here. That is my burden. Is the children that are at home or the children that are here. Thanks for bringing them along. So let's, let's move ahead. I'm going to... Uh, talk to us this afternoon about uh, counting the cost of doing nothing. And then um, we'll, we'll go to, there's a handout in your folders. We'll go to uh, things that, um, that us parents can do to protect our child's purity. I'm also going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk about the, the sequence of abuse uh, before we go into 16 things, just to help us understand uh, a a sequence and to help us be alarmed when we see these sequences. So counting the cost of doing nothing. Let's say as a people group this afternoon, as Amish and Mennonites, we would, we would just say, we would shrug our shoulders and say, well, we're not going to do anything about this. This is too tough. Or this is for somebody else. And, and we're going to let it go. I, I want to list three things that uh, before we decide whether we're going to let it go or not. And I want these three things to be to help us get a firm grip that we must do something. We must do something. It is not an option to do nothing. We can't 
sweep it under the carpet. I heard my, my wife talked to a 30-something-year-old woman who, who was abused as a child, and when she came home from the neighbors after her abuse, she described this to her mother, and her mother said, well, that's the way it is around here. Just get used to it. I believe that is sin before Almighty God to say those words and to live in a community that has that kind of attitude towards something that grieves the heart of God. Matthew 18, verse 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in Me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. There are other ways to offend a child. That is true. Sexual abuse is not the only way. But sexual abuse is one of the most horrible ways to offend a child. I think we should warn potential offenders of this verse. I don't know of an Amish church that disciplines offenders by hanging a millstone around their neck and, and drowning them. But I'm not going to take a, 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 an ounce of way of the weight of that verse. Because I believe tonight that's the way God feels about it. If God were to walk in those doors and walk up through the aisle and take my place, I think He would say those words. Number two. So the first, we have a severe judgment on the offense of a child. Like I said, this is not the only way to offend a child, but it is the worst way to offend a child, is sexual abuse. We have a severe judgment on the offense of a child. Number two, we have dysfunctional marriages and families and churches. I want to say that. I, I think on the authority of experience I can say that if we allow sexual abuse, it will filter into our marriages, it will filter into our, our, our marriage relationships, and those men and those women will be ordained into the ministry. And as they, as they become ordained into the ministry, we will have dysfunctional churches because relationships don't work unless we find answers. We'll have distracted parents. Distracted parents. I read a book that was too... That was too um, it was over my head except for a few things. It talked about the neurological development of a child. And this writer said, it was a doctor, he, he said, or she said it this way, that if... Mom is distracted, just distracted. Remember, that there's no abuse involved here. If mom is just distracted during the child's young development, there's an area of the brain that does not develop, that is observable by MRI. God made it that delicate. Now imagine what happens to a child who is not, mom is not just distracted, but dad or the brothers or the cousins or the uncles or the neighbors are abusive. Imagine what happens there. Dysfunctional marriages, families, and churches. Let me say this. If you're a, how many ministers do we have here tonight? How many of you are in the ministry? Okay. Can I see that? Can I see that again? How many of us are in the ministry? Okay. Thank you for coming. I'm surprised at that, if I can say. Um, let me just say this to us who, who are here. Let me say this. That if we allow sexual abuse in our homes, 
The devil has a four-way, four-lane highway into our churches. And he'll do all sorts of things. We'll get to that later. Number three is a lost witness to the world. If us plain people have one sexual abuse every ten years, it's one too many. Remember that. If there's a sexual abuse case in your church or in our community or in the Anabaptist community, one every, every 40 years is one too many. But, and we'll lose, we'll lose our, a, a small portion of our witness to the world. And maybe we don't care about that. I do. I think you do too. But if we have a string of abuse cases that seem to follow a pattern and that are discernible by the, by the, the world who's not even part of us, we have lost our witness. And I think that's terrible. We talk, about, we talk about witnessing to the world by how we have church, by how we dress, by how what we drive or don't drive, how we look and don't look and all of that. It is wasted if we're going to allow sexual abuse. The cost of doing nothing is heavy and we cannot afford the cost of doing nothing. And let me remind you, we live in a world You probably know this, but we live in a world that if the church does not take care of the sexual abuse problem, the law will. The law will. Let's move on to sequence of of abuse. This is not on your handout, but um, there are four steps to that a, a perpetrator. I'm going to use the word perpetrator or abuse. Abuser are both uh, are interchangeable tonight. Let me use the word perpetrator. That is a, a, um, usually a male that preys on a female and harms her. Perpetrator. Sexually abuses her. Perpetrator. Remember that word. There's a sequence that they go through. They don't go through this sequence perfectly every time. And it's not that, that if, if uh, I'm, not, I'm not laying together a, a set of steps that they always follow. But let, let, me, let me give you... Uh, four steps. The first is an approach as an angel of light. Now, I want to say this. A perpetrator is an instrument of the devil. I know if it's, in, if, if it's your innocent 15-year-old, that's kind of hard to swallow. But that's the truth. An angel of light, um, and it's characterized by secrecy, by closeness, uh, by harmless pursuit, uh, seemingly harmless pursuit, Uh, by privilege and by attention. Those are the characteristics of this first stage. The perpetrator will will approach or pursue his victim uh, on on this level with... um, Well, the deception is this. The abused, or the person who's ready to be abused, says, I'm getting something and nothing has been taken from me. It is all, she is being given. The perpetrator is giving at this point. And many innocent uh, girls don't know that they're being perpetrated on. That's the first stage. Remember the devil is an angel of light, as as, as 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says, and and no marvel for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers do the same thing. So there's an, there's an approach that is characterized by um, something like a slick salesman. Not quite, but something like it. And the victim 
feels like they're getting something and nothing is going to be taken. They're too naive to know that something's going to be taken. The second stage is activity that seems appropriate. Things like touch. Things like helping. If I use that word, helping uh, uh, his victim. Uh, Things like pushing or shoving or pulling. Things that under normal circumstances would be okay. And if, if a parent would do the same thing to the child, she would think everything's okay. Um, so it's activity that seems appropriate. The deception here is that the motive and the spirit behind the behavior uh, at this stage takes, but it seems, it, it, uh, this stage it, it takes, but it seems uh, like it doesn't to the victim. Thank you. It seems like it's still giving, but the perpetrator is actually taking at this point. He's not just giving, he's taking. Number, the third stage is abuse, where you have exposure, you have fondling, you have rape, you have incest, whatever you want to call it. And at this point, I want to say this, that in many of our homes, there are, are, are children who are hungry. And if you're and my children in our home, and I told you before, and I'll tell you again, Miriam and I are not perfect parents in this, but if your daughters are hungry relationally, they're hungry emotionally, they are easier victims, easier victims. So first we have an approach as an angel of light. Second, we have activity that seems appropriate, but it begins taking And stage three, of course, we have the perpetrator actually taking something. But here's the trick. The victim still feels like there's a certain part of her that she has given. There's a thrill here that she's been given something by the perpetrator. It's a a trick of the devil. It's a demonic trick that they're unsuspecting of. The deception is that it's often pleasurable, at least partially pleasurable, and it satisfies legitimate desires. But here also another pattern starts that's more difficult to define. Because there's an internal anger that rises up in the, in the life, in the heart of the victim that makes her life a balance of this, this caused anger, this caused something I'm... I'm desperate to get rid of, but it also caused pleasure. It was also pleasurable, or at least a part of it was pleasurable. The the idea of being wanted, the idea of being desired, the idea of being accepted and and praised and all of that are legitimate desires and legitimate hungers. But now she's been taken. And the fourth stage is the maintenance stage. It's characterized by external pressure. Fear is often used. You have to shut up. Or think bad things, worse things will happen. Don't tell your parents. Don't tell anybody. Is the theme here. It's maintenance. There's also uh, an internal trauma involved in the victim. And that is, she now knows she has been robbed. Robbed. And she has. She's been robbed. And the deception here is this. 
The perpetrator makes the victim believe that you are caught and you won't get away. You are caught and you won't get away. And I'm here to say that's a lie from the devil. But many, many of them believe it and actually go into adulthood believing they're caught. And one of the enemies of those abused victims is this. That is silence. Silence is one of our, us plain peoples in, in sexual abuse, it is one of our biggest enemies. Let's move on. You can turn to your handout now, protecting your child's purity. I will go through these items. Um, I made this a handout so you have it to take with, home, home with you uh, to, to um, uh, st- study at home, to look at at home. Number one is cover with prayer. Notice the verse in Matthew 7. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. I, I want to encourage you young parents here. And some of you have gray hair like I do. I'm a grandpa five times now. I want to encourage all of us to cover our children and our grandchildren in prayer. I don't know that there's a more powerful uh, way of protecting your daughters and your sons from sexual abuse than by praying over them. I would encourage you men, you're the head of the home. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, know you not, that the husband is the head of the wife. And by extension, you're the head of the home. The question is not whether you're the head of the home. The question is, are you a good head of the home? I would encourage you to pray for your children and for their purity and their safety in this area every day. Do it twice a day if you want, but do it every day. And I I have heard uh, stories, I can't relate one right now, but I've heard stories about grandma and grandpas who have prayed for their grandchildren in, in, um, in situations where they've been compromised. And that has covered their grandchildren. We're still a people who believe in praying, right? We believe it's, it's effective to ask God for the purity and the safety of our children. I would encourage you to do so in front of them. I would encourage you to do so uh, not just quietly, but with your audible voice. Let them hear Dad praying for the children one by one in the morning or in the evening. Pray for their purity and their safety. Number two, look at yourself. If I can ask you this afternoon just to take a, 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 a few moments sometime this afternoon to reflect on who you are. Who am I really? There's a lot of young parents here. And you have youthful idealism. And I respect that. I think that's wonderful. You want your families to go, grow up and have, you want to have secure children who are taken care of. I'm with you there. But some of you may have leftover things from your youth or your childhood that you've never dealt with. And the sky is kind of closed when you pray. The Word of God doesn't mean anything when you pray. Or your relationship with your husband isn't what it should be. Take care of those things. If you don't, you'll weaken your home. 
Examine yourself to see if you as a parent have past or current unconfessed moral sin. Your prayers and your words against moral sin hardly do much good if you are still living in moral sin. Remember, lust and fantasies are the most common moral sins and can be and can for a time reside in the mind and heart with little outward indications. Men. Fellow dads and grandpas, are you willing to take a good, long, honest look at who you are morally? Seriously. Those times, those secrets, those times when you think nobody's looking, those times when you think you're all alone, and you, you're alone with your thoughts and you can think whatever you want to think, you can say whatever you want to say, are you pure? Are you pure? Number three, hold sexual things holy. For many parents, their first encounter with sexual things poisoned their mindset about it. And I want to say to us who are farmers and, and, or agricultural people, most of our children's sexual, uh, their, their introduction to sexual things comes with animals. Some of us relate well to that. Some of us may not. I want to challenge you this afternoon. Simply use that as an opportunity. If you treat animal sexuality and the dog having babies and all of that, if you treat that like it's dirty and, and Dad's not going to talk about it, you've just planted a seed in Johnny's mind that says, we don't talk about that here and it's dirty. And he will think that for a long time. Hold sexual things holy. I'll, I'll tell you later on tonight how to do that. Uh, for now, we'll uh, move on. Number four, screen all your reading material. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Can I ask you to do something tonight? Open your Bibles to Philippians 4, verse 18. Read that verse. It's, it's, it's a verse that's right above number four. Read that verse aloud to yourself and to your wife when you get home and everybody else is in bed. And look at your bookshelves and say to yourself, okay, on this bookshelf, I will use the sieve of Philippians 4.18 to look at what's on there. I will go through my, my, my magazine rack. Some of our hunting magazines, I'm not against hunting, but some of our hunting magazines are unfit to look at. They're unfit for young boys or girls. Or our home. Is your home being poisoned by that kind of material? I would really, really urge you. Just, just open your Bibles, read the verse, and, and let the Holy Spirit guide you what, what on your bookshelf is unsanctified. And simply, don't put it to a garage sale and poison somebody else's mind. Simply build a bonfire. Or put it in a black plastic bag and put it in a dumpster somewhere. And get rid of it. Number five, guard your children's social activity. I have listed a few things there. We'll just go down over them. Before we do, I want to say this. I don't want to, anything, anything that I say, I don't want to incite fear for anybody. I want us as a people group, I want this group tonight to go home in faith, not in fear. Not in fear. Be an alert parent. When visiting with friends after church or at other social functions, make it your business to know where your children are and who they are with. Remember, it takes less than five minutes 
to destroy the innocency of your five-year-old daughter. And when you've, when you've allowed it to be destroyed, somehow it's like, it's like gossip. You can, you, you've heard the illustration of throwing feathers to the wind. You simply can't get it, get it all back. She's had her innocence destroyed before it's ready. Before she, before she, I always say this. When they're exposed to those things too young, they're, they're, they have the weight of human sexuality, which God created. It's not dirty. They have the way to suit human sexuality, but they don't have the maturity to divide morally. And that, that creates all sorts of conflict in a child. Be careful of babysitters. Most of our people are trustworthy, yet it takes only one that is not to cause untold agony in the life of a girl. Don't take risks. Um, if in doubt, don't. Think carefully how you arrange things when both of you are absent for the day. Things like travel and even communion need careful attention. I want to mention communion because it lasts all day and we don't take our children with us. And I want to ask us as, as Amish and Mennonites, is that the best way to do that? Is that really the best way to do that? Be careful of sleepovers. Be careful where they work. Avoid mixed swimming. Uh, those are things you can think about. Number six, don't allow boy-girl teasing. Boy-girl teasing seems really harmless, but in, in many ways it awakens a girl's desire for friendships and for fantasies that are, that are inappropriate. They see themselves in this, um, with a relationship with this person. Number seven, never laugh at or leave unrebuked off-color jokes. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. First Peter 2.1 But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Colossians 3.8 Just let's be men. It's us men who, who normally are involved with that. Let's be men at the horse sale. Let's be men at, the, at some get-together. And if there's a joke or if there's something off-color said, let's simply say we don't do that here. We don't do that here. We can be kind, we can be direct, but we need to open our mouths and speak. Number eight, maintain a high standard of modesty for yourself and your children. I want to encourage you young parents here this, this, evening, this afternoon. You have, maybe you have, you know, maybe you're still holding one in your arms. There's a, there's a two-year-old, there's a three-year-old, there's a four-year-old. And you know what? In our families, we get used to... Um, there are certain things that are okay when the children are really small that all of a sudden become uh, awful when children get a little older. How do you tell? How do you know when it's time not to, not to give baths with, with a boy and a girl? How, how do you know? Let, let me suggest something. It's before you think. Before you think. So if you're unsure about giving a bath to a boy and a girl together or having running around the house half naked if you're unsure about that end the activity right now communicate well also i want to say this your nightwear of your girls and your boys too but mostly your girls our nightwear uh should you know we're champions of nonconformity when the sun's shining but sometimes after the, after the sun goes down, we're no longer 
champions of nonconformity and modesty. Remember, you probably have children whose emotions or whose sexuality is awakening. And it'll awake sooner if they're exposed to those kind of things. Number nine, communicate well. Talk to your child in sanctified, age-appropriate way about the facts of life. Use the Bible. Relate personal experiences. Admit past failures that impacted your life and helped you form your convictions. Very quickly, I want to say, dads, talk to boys. Dads, do not talk to girls. If you talk to girls about sexual things, you have crossed the line and her mind, you will defile her mind. Don't do it. Dads, talk to boys. Let mom talk to girls and vice versa. When it comes time to talk to your girls about, uh, you know, their, their periods, their, uh, and, and boys, when they reach the age of 9 to 12 years old, masturbation and things like that, we simply need to get ourselves to sit down beside them and say, listen, son, I, there's something we need to talk about. And you may not, you know, our, we, we have, we have, like I said, we have seven daughters and two, and two sons. Different children wake up to this at different ages. Different children, some children have a natural curiosity about it. Other children don't as much. And, but when the first question is asked, you know you have missed it by six months. When your son or your daughter asks, Daddy, how are kitties born? Or how are calves born? If you could have preempted that question six months before and sat down with them and said, Listen, this is what happens. And this is how you need to understand this and look at this. And this is the way God created this. On purpose for His purposes. And I'll get to that later on. If you can do that six months before their first question, that's the right time. But if they ask that first question, if you haven't done it before, right then's the time. Right then. I missed it with one of our children who all of a sudden he was, he's more curious uh, than, than most children are. And he asked me that question. I thought to myself, oh, yes, we never talked about these things to him. So I sat down right there and I did it. I told him, and this is the way you tell your children. You, you kind of instinctively know what is appropriate for their age. Say those words. Talk to them about it. For example, don't play with your private parts. You can talk to them about that as soon as they're old enough to understand direction. You can talk to them about that. Don't let anybody, don't expose yourself to anybody and don't let anybody else expose himself to you. You can talk to, that, to your children as soon as they can understand directions. You can talk to them. But tell them these words. If you don't have your own words, tell them these words. That I will, as life goes on, Dad will tell you about this, about this as is appropriate. Dad will tell you. Dad will talk to you. Don't miss it. But tell them, because it's not appropriate to take a five-year-old and just, just lay open the book and tell them about the facts of life. It's not appropriate. It's not right. Their young minds can't bear all those facts. Tell them what, they're, what, what, what is appropriate for their age, but tell, promise them that you will talk to them about it as it becomes appropriate. And probably every year is not too often. <clears throat> probably every year is not often enough at a certain age. But when, when you begin talking, remember they're developing. And you're still, you're still nursing a child, but you have a 10-year-old who's, who's thinking about the facts of life. You have to talk to her, even though you don't, Talk to, to your, young, your, your young children about it. 
Number 10 is respect bathroom privacy. One person in the bathroom at a time is an important guideline for your home. For some children, age and personality matter here. Having an adult, quote, slip into the bathroom to grab something while they shower pushes boundaries that influence their behavior. Err on the side of caution. Now, I know some of you probably think that, well, you know, just having mom go in and, and you know, a 10-year-old is showering, having quickly slipping into the bathroom and getting something is, can't be, nobody's exposed, right? Nobody has been violated, right? But you broke a barrier. You broke a barrier. And that child who you do that with on a regular basis will think differently about himself than if you never do that. So I would encourage you to just simply don't do it. Number 11, have safe and separate sleeping arrangements. Uh, again, uh, you know, the, 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 the half beds beside each other, having um, a, a boy sleep in one and a girl sleep in another is perfectly harmless when they're one and two years old or when they're, when they're still nursing. When does it become harmful? The bunk bed idea, when does that become harmful? I'm not going to put an age to it right now, but let me say this, before we think, before we think, before we think. Twelve, take immediate decisive action on suspicious activity. Don't wait. Take immediate decisive action. When you get that first niggling feeling that something is not right, don't wait till you're certain something bad has happened. True, you don't want to go on a proverbial witch hunt. However, do something now. Once you're sure something bad has happened, don't sleep till it's taken care of and the safety of the victim is absolute. Remember, if your home is not safe for your daughter, she has no safe place on, on the face of the planet. If your home isn't safe for your daughter, she doesn't have one safe place on planet Earth if your home is not it. Technology, um, I'll let you think about that. We have to move on. 14, focus on the spiritual climate of your home. I'll, I'll touch some of that later, so I'll leave that. Identify likely abusers. Number 15, how can I tell? What are the signs? Um, if someone has been known to violate, if a 15-year-old has been known to violate a young girl, don't trust him or his family to babysit, period. I don't care has it been two years ago. I don't care has he even joined, joined church. Don't do it. If he's known to violate, don't do it. Boys out of dysfunctional homes. If there's something I'd want to spend an hour on this evening, and maybe I will, is dysfunctional homes produce more abuse than any other situation I can think of. Dysfunctional homes. If mom and dad's hearts aren't together, if they are not praying together, if they're not reading together, if they're not functioning as a, as, if their hearts are not attached to each other, the devil can have his way a lot easier. If they're, well, let, let me just leave it for now. Extended family members, statistically 80% of abusers are family members, dads, uncles, brothers, and cousins. Uh, remember, it's, it's people who are familiar with your daughters who are uh, likely abusers, most likely abusers. The last one, boys with awakening sexuality and a corresponding sleeping morality. The science of this is beyond me and it's beyond the scope of our time here together tonight. But 
testosterone begins is a hormone that begins being produced in a boy's body and it really it's not a choice he makes it's not a choice you make but it awakens sexual desire but usually that sexual desire is awakened before his morality is fully developed his 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 ideas of right and wrong are fully developed and in that stage you have a lot of potential for abuse number 16 avoid punishing the victim I state my reasons in that paragraph. I'll let that go. You can read that. Uh, but avoid punishing or putting guilt on the victim. And if I would add this, number 17, you can write this down, is love your children. Love your children. Treasure them. You know, I, I look at your young, you young dads here tonight, and I want to say this, when I was your age, I had no idea the impact a dad makes. If you have girls, let me tell you what somebody told me after it was a little too late. Marvin, you need to wear white gloves. And you need to develop the heart of a shepherd. We had four daughters to begin with. Our first four children were four daughters. You need to wear white gloves and you need to develop the heart of a shepherd to have a daughter in your home. I learned that a little too late. I want to say to you young parents tonight, young men tonight, Develop that and do it now because you need to be a shepherd in your home if you have girls and, and boys as well, but girls especially. In closing, I want to say this. With purity, you and I are engaged in a war for the souls of our children. Let me repeat that. You and I are engaged in a war for the souls of our children that decides not only their purity, although it does, but it often decides their eternal destiny. I don't want us young parents ever to forget that. It's not just about purity, although it's about that. It's about the child's eternal destiny. I don't want you to go home with hypervigilance and fear and start seeing a perpetrator behind every bush because that's not reality. I want to build a special blend of confidence, of compassion, and of courage for young parents and all of us parents here tonight that is informed not by fear, not by fear, but by faith. A faith that destroys apathy. Apathy means, ah, oh, I'm okay with however it is. Let this be the last day you've lived that way if you've lived that way. A faith that de destroys apathy a faith that reaches out as it reaches up, a faith that blows the cover of abuse, blows its cover. Brothers and sisters, our, our biggest enemy with sexual abuse is silence. We can't have it. We can't have silence. I know we've been taught that we should shut up about these things, but that's past. That's archaic advice. It's, it's demonic advice. I'm not saying we should spread it all over the continent but I am saying speak, talk. And a faith that fights from the position of victory and not for victory. And it's also a faith that, as Ephesians 3 says, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, in you and I. God bless you.